Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crisp and Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, May 20th, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. My hope is that by listening to these thought leaders, you'll find inspiration and new ideas and, of course, have some fun along the way, which will definitely happen today because my guest is Jonah Descend, CEO and founder of Red Scout. Jonah is a renowned thought leader in the area of brand strategy and innovation. He's a recognized expert on helping companies imagine and realize new futures for their brands and products. Jonah brings an anthropologist's eye to the world of pop culture, consumer insights, and marketing. His client list is an amazing list of top companies. Many projects are so secretive, he cannot even reveal them or reveal his clients, but a few clients he can name are Pepsi, Johnson & Johnson, Diageo, and Nickelodeon. Hi, Jonah. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, thanks. I know you're super busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, and I want to jump right in because I know you know you're quoted all the time um, in in different publications. But a lot of people are not exactly sure what Red Scout specializes in. Tell us. Absolutely. Really, there's so much pressure on every single company, no matter if they're big or small, to grow. And really, our core focus is helping companies find and not only find and identify, but really create and build opportunities for growth. It's what we call brand-driven innovation, which is really this space that's at the intersection of brand strategy and, and innovation, new product development. And so how does what you do sort of compete either or com- compete or complement with what traditional advertising agencies do? When it works well, it's a really great complementary effort because we really are trying to develop new opportunities, new products, new spaces for companies to play, and then somebody needs to market them. And while we are definitely thinking about how the product will live in the world when we develop it, we are not communication specialists. We do not take it forward. So ideally, the ad agency is involved throughout the process and really kind of helping make sure that they're interjecting and saying, wait a minute, I don't know if we're going to be able to sell this, or this product has too many things going on, I don't know how we're going to communicate this. So ideally, it's a really great partnership, and then what we do is we hold some kind of town hall when it's all sort of developed and ready to go and really brief all the different marketing services agencies, and then they sort of imagine how to communicate it and bring it to life. So on the product design side, though, you know, all, a lot of traditional agencies are trying to reinvent themselves or come up with new revenue streams, figure out new ways to, you know, move to how everything is mm-hmm. going these days in the marketplace. Why do you think, and I'm just saying traditional advertising agencies, mm-hmm. why haven't they been able to really incorporate the, like, product design into their model? Well, I think that people forget that innovation is actually really, really hard, and it's something that 
very few people have a lot of experience in it. It actually takes, you know, when we first hire people from ad agencies, there's a, there's a steep learning curve in terms of going from thinking about communications to thinking about product development. And companies understand that. They, I think more and more are seeing ad agencies for really the communication side and, and not necessarily seeing them as sort of credible sources of product development because they themselves know how tricky it is. Most products fail. It's a long uh, development curve. You really do have to have a certain level of expertise and understanding of things like R&D and how sort of products are made and developed and brought to market, how you know, the whole retail dynamics. There, there are a lot, it's a very sort of complicated thing bringing a new product to market. Now, this may sound like a silly question, but why isn't product development for the most part just kept it in-house as solely the job of the product development team for the company? Why, why do they look to other sources to, to help them with that? I think that, that no matter how, um, how amazing or talented the client is, it is incredibly hard for them because of the responsibilities that they have day to day, to get out on the street to see what's going on, to knowing to know what's going on with every sort of trend and culture, and also just to get the headspace in order to think. So it's not that they they can't do it. It's it's often that they just don't have the bandwidth to really sort of think about things in a in a big way. And so there are often times where we're just really helping partner with them and give them the headspace to help think through things that they wouldn't normally have the time or sort of resources to do. Um, and also there are, there are a lot of companies that are very R&D driven. And so mm-hmm. often what we find is there's these really interesting technologies, but they're kind of in search of an insight. They don't really know what to do with the technology. And so often they need to go outside for somebody who can kind of look at something with a fresh pair of eyes and help them imagine a space to bring it that they may never have thought. So, in terms of the marketing, I mean, you know, CPB and more and more companies really look at now the product as being the core of all the marketing and the branding and everything emanating from there as opposed to sort of advertising agencies thinking in the past that, you know, it's the other way around where the product is in the middle, but then it's sort of going. Tell me, um, how does marketing fit into product development when you're developing, you know, new products and new ideas. Yeah, I mean, first, I completely agree with that. I do think, you know, that, that we underestimate how much work the product does actually on shelf for the consumer and how much just the, there are plenty of very successful products that have never been marketed, um, which is just testament to sort of the power of the product and the idea that consumers just kind of connect with it when they see it. Um, and I think that, you know, CPB, for example, they, their approach is absolutely the right one. That is, as an agency, if you are going to think about product as marketing, then you, then you have permission to play in that space. And I think that's why they have been more successful than other people, because they are treating it as marketing. And so there's times when you create products that have a very short shelf life because it's really about saying something about the brand or building back to the brand. So for us, we're always really aware of how this is going to live in the world so that we're, we're already kind of baking in, if you will, a go-to-market strategy and understanding how the consumer is going to have to connect with it, where they might want to buy it or where they might want to see it. Not so much like exactly where we're going to communicate it, but what kinds of ways we would want to communicate it and really be baking that into the idea itself so it's not just a product with no vision of how it's going to live in the world. Well, and I guess that kind of brings me to um, my next point, which is, you know, you mentioned a, a product will ha- could have a short shelf life if, if all that isn't brought into, you know, the picture when something's being developed. Mm-hmm. What does being sort of, 
you know, on top of your game depend on for you. I mean, being understanding trends, understanding the latest products, and, and more important than that, I think in this age of technology, how do you even stay abreast of all the things that are going on? Right. Well, most importantly is sleep. No, but um, seriously, it's, it's really about, there's two things. I think it's, one is you hire young people. Um, we, interestingly, we versus a lot of other consultancies are, are what I would say bottom heavy. We have a lot of, of young people because no matter how, you know, I'd like to think that I'm as cool as I can be, but you just don't have the energy to go out there and you do. You have to be out on the street. You have to read anything and everything. You have to be able to see what is just a, a fad and what's a real trend and, and something that's more powerful because I think it, um, trends and fads can be a real red herring if you're not careful. It's kind of like investing in a stock because it's going up and then imagining 18 months later that it's still going to be going up when the product's actually launched. So it's mm-hmm. really, really important to be able to separate sort of what's real and true and what's just kind of a passing fad. Um, but absolutely, knowing everything that's coming out on the market, constantly going to Walmart, going to, to the pharmacies, going to the, the, the trendy stores, just you have to kind of get out there and really encourage our team to be out there as much as possible. And that's something we really bring that when you are, no matter you know, where your office is, unless you're sort of able to really get out all the time, you, you do just miss out on things. So it does, it requires a tremendous amount of just kind of keeping your eyes open, being aware of things. So when you're going out, watching people, looking at them as consumers, going to the mall, going to the bar, how, what are people ordering? What's going on? How are they reacting with each other? What are sort of interesting cultural things that you're observing um, or interesting consumer attitudes or behaviors and sort of bringing that all back and incorporating and feeding that back into your product development cycle? Jonah, that was a very insightful answer, but as someone that knows you a bit, it's funny that the first place that you said was Walmart, because I don't initially envision you hanging out at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> it's important, I know, it's, uh, you know, I mean, but I think that's, that's um, something that we do have to be careful of. I mean, we have a lot of clients that do worry sometimes that you're uber trendy, you live in New York City, and that you are out of touch. But the reality is that for most of our clients, a lot of the, the bulk of their business is at Walmart, and they think it's really important to kind of develop a sensitivity for, for all types of consumers and, and be able to, I mean, I always, I sort of love, I mean, I love developing things for sort of for Walmart and, and because I think that that you, if you can really add value to consumers' lives and really sort of understand, I think it's sort of easy to create something really trendy and cool. It's a lot harder to create commodity, to create a new laundry detergent or to come up with toilet paper innovation or things that yet they're really kind of critical to our everyday lives. And so I think that that's something that, you know, I even with the team here encourage them to not sort of only get excited about working on the sexy things, but also get excited about working on the sort of basic everyday things as well. Well, in terms of developing things, okay, this is more sort of an esoteric question, or maybe it isn't, but where, where does a good new product come from? Mm. I think that um, the most important thing is landing on one key insight, because I think that what you end up doing, if you're not careful, is there's hodgepodge of lots of interesting ideas, and I think the, the onus is on us to really, really identify one key insider opportunity about either in the marketplace so there's a missing, when you look at the competitive set, you say, ooh, there's something missing. Or everybody's always assumed that in this category you have to do it this way. What if we flipped it on its head? What if we did it another way? Or a consumer need or desire. It's interesting. We constantly sort of are on the lookout for 
when a consumer says something and you're saying, well, they're not being honest, like there's something deeper there. And it's usually those, the things that the consumers can't say that's sort of underneath it where there's really a, a, a very interesting product idea in there. And then once you have sort of the space and the idea, that's when the kind of creative firepower matters. That's when it's about taking what you know is a true and good opportunity and turning it into something that's actually really creative and interesting and inspired. Well, and I know that for so many things you can't talk about it. You know, I I realize for many different reasons, but are there some recent projects maybe that have already hit the shelves that we can talk about a little bit? Sure. I mean, one of the one of the things that just recently launched is a new um, soda brand called Tava, which is T-A-V-A, and it's um, it was really um, in men are thought about to look at. There are a lot of people that are kind of graduating out of soda. It's um, for lots of different reasons, but there is still as fundamentally consumers love soda. They love sparkling beverages. They love drinks, and so we needed to figure out a way to create something that was relevant for a consumer that still sort of loved the essence of it but needed a more appropriate version. And it's really a more grown-up version of a, of a soft drink. It comes in a more slimline can, and it's all about the different stories are from all over the world. There's one called Mediterranean Fiesta and one called Tahitian Tamure. Um, and they're really a little bit more sophisticated. They're zero calorie because that's much more important these days. They have added... Um, ingredients and benefits and vitamins and things to really give you a little bit more of a health health cue, and they're just sort of a fresher, um, lighter-tasting soda. Well, that sounds good. Any any other, can we, is there one more thing we can talk about? Um, I think what else just hit, we recently, the Diet Pepsi Max recently hit the shelves as well, which is a, um, it's a sort of higher energy version of um, a diet soda, and it's sort of about the ideas. I think when you, you feel like when you drink a diet soda, sometimes you're losing something. So this is the idea mm-hmm. if you can actually add something back in and actually make it more potent, that, that a diet soda doesn't have to be a wimpy soda, that it can actually be quite a, a strong um, um, sort of powerful soda. And so something like Pepsi Max, how long was that in development? Um, trying to think on that one. It was probably pretty quick on that one, but usually the, the life cycle is, Anywhere from 12 months to 18 months, it depends how much technology. On things that, that you don't have too much technology, you can get them out there pretty quick. It's still quite a long time. It's, it's, it's hard because often you identify a, a space or an opportunity and you want to get it out tomorrow because you know that if it hit tomorrow, it would really, it would really do well. So you, that's where you always have to kind of be aware that there may be a two-year lag time and make sure you're sort of developing something that's going to be relevant in the future and not just today. Well, let's take a very quick break, and we'll be right back and talk more with you. Jonah, we'll be back right after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break. Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, Here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by, whether you're sitting at a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. I think we need to go somewhere else. It's easy to feel forgotten, especially when your advertising budget is on the line. LookSmart serves up to 400 million queries a day with a side of the best customer service in the online advertising industry. Hi, how are y'all doing today? What can I get you folks to eat? You were right. This place is so much better. LookSmart, premium and performance advertising solutions. 
Okay, so you're telling me that if I put the Go Currency Converter on my site, all my international customers can see how much they're paying in their own currency? Yeah, GoCurrency.com has free currency converters, language translations, international clocks, everything you need to do international business. So how does it work? Conversion elves. Conversion elves? Yeah, watch. Wanna know what this will cost in euros? Check this out. Listen up, elves! We got one! $34 US! I need that in euros! Now, people! We got it! Put it up there, elves! Wow, currency elves. Who knew? GoCurrency.com. Free currency converters, language translations, and more. GoCurrency.com. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. It's time to do your thing. Affiliate thing. Hey, this is Sean Collins from WebmasterRadio.fm. And, um, and I'm... Uh, oh, do I, I not get to say who I am? Is it your show now? I flubbed my line, but... Just because you're the righteous host and I'm just the and? <laughs> go on, go right. on, go on. I'll just sit back, let you take over. Go ahead. I'm just sit here in the pod cave and you okay, let me know if you Sean need Collins me. and Lisa. <laughs> Affiliate thing. Dig it. I broadcast Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Affiliate Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Find Webmaster Radio now on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Add us today from the WebmasterRadio.fm homepage. Want a hot pod? Load it with webmasterradio.fm and play with us all day long. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host. Hi, welcome back. I'm Katie Kempner, and today I'm talking to my friend, CEO and founder of Red Scout, Jonah Descend. Hi, Jonah. Hi. So you're a small company that plays with giant companies or plays in the pond of giant companies. How, how does that work for you in the sense of what are sort of the challenges and learnings you've taken away from that? Yeah, I think it is when we first started and we were really tiny, we were acutely aware that we were this sort of tiny little company playing with these you know, monolithic uh, multinational companies. And I think that as we've grown, we, we've sort of been able to kind of feel not quite so tiny in the midst of them, but still, yes, re- relatively, we, we feel, you know, I think it is interesting to not get swallowed up by them. I think to, to resist the temptation that you feel like you're sort of working there and that you don't have a bit of um, distance. And to be able to really, I think, the onus is on us to, without getting sort of shoved out of the room, to be able to really keep them honest. Um, you know, it, you, we, we need to kind of constantly challenge our clients. We need to help them understand that um, sometimes they are talking to themselves. Um, and I think... Mm-hmm. They're getting better and better at realizing that, but really for us to sort of kind of stand up, and, and I think when you are small, it is sometimes hard to feel like you can kind of go in there and really make a, a big impression up against some of the much bigger companies or certainly the big ad agencies where you feel like there's just, just by their heft and, and being these big global companies, it feels like they, they do have a certain amount of authority, and I think we have had to 
kind of earn and build that authority and be able to kind of prove ourselves um, over and over again in order to be able to really um, make make statements that, that the clients are going to take very seriously and really act on. Well, and your company is growing, right? I mean, so you're, you're very small, but you're getting bigger. And I think one of the biggest challenges as an entrepreneur, I think, growing would as your company is growing, adding more offices, adding more people, uh, must be sort of not letting go, but letting go of some of the little things. Or really, you know what, I should be asking you that question. What are some of the biggest mm. challenges as your company grows? Yeah, I mean, I think the number one challenge is always finding talent. And, and, and not just finding them, but integrating them and training them and helping um, keep true to your culture. I think that there was a, a period where sort of felt like, well, you know what, as we get bigger and it's so hard to find talent, let's not worry so much about culture and let's just hire people that are really smart and we think can do the job. And you know what, it never works. And what we've realized is, is it's better to have an open position for even three to six months than hire somebody that isn't a good cultural fit. And so I think the most important thing, my advice to anyone building a company is don't, is never let go of that culture that got you where you are and try really, really hard to protect it as hard as that may be. I think it's because you kind of know when somebody comes, you know, a week or two into it, you think, ooh, maybe this isn't. And it's usually more to do with, with culture than necessarily the work. And so we, you know, I think that that's, that's a really important thing is, is finding people that not only kind of fit and can do the work, but can really help kind of speak for the company and, and have that ethos of the company. Is it a relief to sort of let a little bit of that go or, or not? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I would love to let a little bit more of it go. I, it, I, still, I still hold on quite tight to that and, and sort of have the management team here hold on quite tight to, to sort of the culture and, uh, and making sure that we protect what we are and what we're all about. And, and, and B, I think it's, it's easy to, when you're growing to say, oh, we can do that. Let's move into other areas. Or we can, they seem interesting. Let's hire them. Or let's take on this client even if they don't really feel right. And I think that particularly when there is, you're trying to grow and there's pressure to grow. And, and you realize that when you do that, actually, it's usually, you know, seven steps forward but ten steps back. And so mm-hmm. really it is important to find the clients that are going to be good long-term partners, to find people that I'd much rather um, promote and keep people here than try to bring new people in. So really spending a lot of energy on on developing people, keeping your current talent happy, um, hiring young people and training them so that they sort of grow and, and are born of this culture. I mean, all those things, I think, become critically important, particularly when you're in a consulting business where the clients are hiring not just the company, but they're really hiring the individual people who work on their businesses. I, and I know, I know you, did, you did, talking about growth, you recently opened your office in San Francisco. How is that going? Right. What made you want to do that? And give us a little insight on that. Absolutely. I mean, there are a few things. I think there is something about um, having more of a national presence that does um, help you play on a little bit of a bigger playing field. There's different types of clients out on the West Coast, um, certainly technology and some other sectors that are of, of high interest to us. The other really important thing is there's a huge culture of, of creativity, design, and innovation in San Francisco. Tremendous amount of talent. And um, while I moved to San Francisco and then moved back to New York, most people who live in San Francisco seem quite happy to stay there and don't really want to come to New York. So we felt we had to go to them um, and really um, create an, an opportunity for people who were interested in Red Scout but didn't want to move to New York to actually be able to join the team and really build from there. 
So I have one more question that I that I like to ask sure. people. Um, you know, you, you were you had a more traditional career before, in the sense that you work you worked at DDB Worldwide, and then you came and you opened your own thing. I mean, you've been so successful already, and you know, so much more to come. But do you have any advice for anyone that's either starting out or? at a job and they're looking to make a change, they're not happy, sort of philosophies that have helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I think at a, at a macro level, um, the, the first thing I say to people is figure out, be really honest with yourself and figure out not only what you love, but what you're really good at. You see a lot of people that love something but aren't honest that they're, they're maybe not so, so good at it. Or there's something that you're really good at but you don't really love. And if you can kind of figure out that sweet spot between what you love and what you're good at and then figure out how to monetize it. Because I believe that if you are really good and really love something, there is always an opportunity to monetize it and figure out how to make money at it. And then on a more sort of specific, because I do do a tremendous amount of informational interviews, is that it's amazing to me how many people show up in my office having done absolutely no homework. And they come in sort of thinking that an informational interview is just an opportunity to kind of gab. And we all know, you know, how busy everybody is and that if, you know, I'm giving them a half an hour, I want them to sort of have come in and have, have been prepared. And, and I think that, that the best thing to do, even if you don't know at all what you want to do, is to sort of at least come in, show interest in what they do, have done your homework, start to try to, I mean, think of yourself as a brand and make sure you have a positioning, that you stand for something, that you can kind of explain, if you've, even if you've made lots of different career moves, that you can kind of explain it and that there's some kind of connective tissue. Really take the, take the time to kind of look at your experiences and create a bit of a through line and a story about who you are and what you're all about. And then kind of come in with a, some confidence and say, you know, this is an area that's really interesting to me, even, even if you're not sure. Thank you so much, Jonah. This has been great. Will you come back and talk with me again sometime soon? Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Katie. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. And thank you for listening. That's all we have time for today. Please join me next week for another edition of The Hook. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.